Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Cover. I'm your host, John Robb, and I'm not here with my co-host, Jeff Ayers. He is actually not going to make it tonight. He had something else he had to do, so he is going to be off. But we have a fantastic guest lined up for you, none other than best-selling author Alan Jacobson. He will be on to talk about his next Karen Vale novel called The Darkness of Evil. So get ready for that. Uh, We also want to let you know, of course, that all the shows here on Suspense Radio are brought to you by Kensington Books. Make sure you visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information on their books and their authors and who they got coming up. Also, the latest issue of the magazine is now a week old. So if you don't have your copy, make sure you email me and we'll get you out one. Um, A lot of the past episodes or magazines are now online, so just go to suspensemagazine.com. And you can also go there right now while you're listening to Alan and read the latest excerpt of his book, The Darkness of Evil, which is now published. So without any further ado, let's just talk to Mr. Jacobson right now. It's always good to have Alan back. Alan, thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing? John, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Long time no talk, but then again, it's kind of been long time no write for you. So, you know, Karen's kind of taken a little bit of a back seat. Um, you know, the last time that she was out was a couple years ago, I believe, was the last book was Spectrum, um, number six. And so you've been a little on a hiatus, so you have a lot to look up for here with this one, right? So, yeah, what, what we're doing is I've got two series. Uh, Karen Vale, as it, it has been working, is uh, going to be every other book, and then the OBSIG Team Black series, the Covert Ops series that I write. Right. Is, is every other book as well. So, uh, And the way it's worked out, the last two OPSIC Team Black novels, Karen Vale's been in and, and played an integral role. So um, I don't know if I'm ready to say she's going to be in every OPSIC book. Probably not. It depends on, on the story and, mm-hmm. you know, how, it, how, it, uh, how the story shakes out. Uh, if, it's, if there's a place for her, a legit place for her, she'll be in it. Uh, the next Obstic Team Black book, which I just finished, uh, we're, it's in copy editing right now. Karen Vale is one of the main characters, along with uh, Hector DeSantos and Aaron Uzi. So she's going to be in the next one, too. So she'll be in three out of four, and uh, maybe this is a trend. I don't know. But, um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's good for my readers because they can't get enough of Karen Vale. And I love Karen Vale, and, you know, I can't get enough of writing her. So, um, yeah, if it works, but she – gets her way into the OPSIC series, so much the better. Well, you know, for fans that are just kind of finding out about you and just kind of realizing who is Alan Jacobson, let's just kind of start first with uh, give us a rundown who exactly is Karen Vale and maybe how did she kind of start and why was she the character that you just fell in love with all the way back when when your first book came out, The Seventh Victim? So, Karen Vale has actually been with me a very long time, well before The Seventh Victim came out. Uh, is your wife but... jealous at this point? <laughs> yeah, I'm just curious. I can say that. 
No, no, I, I think I could say that. You know, oh my God, I'm on, I'm on radio. Uh, no, no, absolutely not. No. Um, so, uh, who's Karen Vale? Karen Vale is, uh, she's an FBI profiler. She started out as an NYPD beat cop, and uh, you know, explored her her origins in Spectrum, which was, as you noted, Karen Vale number six, the sixth in the series. And uh, that was very fun to write because it gave me a chance to explore some of the things that I had only alluded to or we only saw snippets of in the uh, five previous Karen Vale novels, uh, as well as those uh, the Opsic Team Black novels that uh, that Vale was in. So uh, it, uh, Spectrum gave me the chance to, to dive into the character a little bit and see her as a young cop and a young person, you know, 20-year-old, 21-year-old person, uh, very different from who she becomes after she's a seasoned uh, cop, seasoned detective, then seasoned FBI field agent, and then the seasoned profiler. And she, you know, makes those uh, leaps for a reason each time. And, and that was something that uh, was, was fun to explore in Spectrum. So where did she come from? Well, you know, John, I wish I, I could tell you. It was um, this in- incredible um, brainstorm of, of ideas that came to me, but it, it's not. It's really something very simple, and, and I almost can't explain it, but I was writing uh, a draft of a novel, which this day has not been published, but, uh, you know, we all start off somewhere, and this was a novel sure. that uh, I was working on. This is 20-something years ago, and... Um, about 25 years ago, and I needed an FBI agent, and I just started writing Karen Vale. I said, okay, she'll be a female, you know, redhead, and I just, I knew who she was just as soon as I started writing her, and the words started coming out of her mouth, and uh, I, I wrote that chapter, and I sat back, and I went, wow, that was, that was, uh, this is, she's great. I, I really, I, I have to do more with this character. And then as uh, I started um, doing more time, more research with the FBI Behavioral Analysis Unit, because this is around that time in the early 90s uh, when I was uh, doing the concentrated research with the, the BAU, uh, that's, that's when I realized I have a place for this Karen Vale character. And uh, I could write a novel that centers just around her. She she could be the main character. And I started to take the knowledge that I was uh, gaining working with the profilers and working with the, the unit and going back to Quantico and spending time there. And I started to, you know, fool around with an idea that would later become the seventh victim. And I wrote the first... 75 pages right before I made another trip out to the FBI Academy. And I was talking with uh, one of the profilers who was the first person I, I had met, uh, Mark Safrick. And this, this was, you know, goes back to my, my meeting with him was 1994. That's when we first met mm-hmm. early in 94. And um, so, but I had not met his partner and I'm sitting in his office and we were actually talking about, the seventh victim plot, and I was giving him some ideas I had and wanted his feedback, and and all of a sudden the door opens, and, you know, this this woman is 
you know, really upset about something, that she's saying something to Mark about this case, and, you know, it's uncensored stuff, and she's really passionate. And, and I'm just sitting there going, oh, my God, there is Karen Vale. And <laughs> it wasn't like, oh, you could make a good Karen Vale. It was like, this is how I envisioned Karen Vale. I wrote the first 75 pages a few weeks before I went there. And I had never met her. And this was uh, Special Agent Mary Ellen O'Toole. And I, I just, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I came face to face with my character. It was really, really strange uh, because I, I had not met her before. And yet down, to, you know, physical description, attitude, personality was, I was looking at my character. So, uh, and Agent O'Toole became extremely helpful um, in understanding a woman's role in the unit and uh, the difficulties she faced uh, earlier in her career, which you know, was kind of at that time uh, back in, in the early 90s. So uh, I incorporated a lot into that into Karen Vale. And, uh, you know, uh, when The Seventh Victim came out was uh, quite a number of years later. As you know, it was 2008. Yeah. When I, I finished it and Finally got it out, published. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I lived, I have lived with Karen Vale for many years, um, even though this is, uh, you know, the darkness of evil is, quote, only her seventh adventure with us. Yeah. I mean, and I, you, you know, you've thrown her through the ringer. I mean, let's put it that way. I mean, I, I think that, I, you know, and and you always got to look and you see, you know, now you have seven books. So so you're kind of now you're kind of getting into the series. I mean, technically, she's what in 11, I guess, total. But this is her seventh on her own. So Correct. let's so, so let's just kind of come now a little bit full circle. And let's just talk about the darkness of evil. And where is she now leading? Where where do you now have her? What What do, what do, what do you got going on with her now? Well, so Vale has has been changed a bit by the events that um, she's gone through in the object team black books, and uh, it it has given her a little different um, perspective on on human nature than she has had, and that said a lot because you know you're talking about a a profiler who's seen the, uh, the the extremes of human behavior and not in a good way, uh, obviously. And um, so she's, she is evolving. She's changing a little bit. She's um, as anybody would be changed by uh, the types of experiences she has had with, with the covert ops group. So, um, you know, we see Vale still herself, but a little wiser and um and she has some more resources more tools in her in her kit so to speak uh when she's got to um help find uh, a, a serial killer or a serial offender so the darkness of evil opens with the premise that got me so excited when i first thought of the idea and that was all a lot of these serial killers have families mhm you know, I mean, that that's kind of a we, – yep. we accept it, you know, all right? But but somebody, a, a woman, uh, you know, so this guy's wife is living with him and doesn't know that he is a, a heinous murderer. And he has children, okay? And mm-hmm. he, well, some of them have daughters. 
and and the the father daughter relationship is is special in in many families and yeah. so I just I was fascinated by the concept of you know what would it be like for a daughter to suddenly realize that her father is not this hero that she envisioned not this person that she thought he was and not only not who she thought he was but he's a horrendous killer who um <laughs> exactly. you know has has murdered uh, 14 people and uh so i just thought this was an incredible premise to explore and as i got into outlining the story uh, you know i just i got more and more excited about it and then i said okay you know, I have to write this. This is the story I want to write. And, uh, you know, so we see Karen Vale. She was um, a new profiler back when Roscoe Lee Marks, the killer, was uh, being sought. And, and at the time, they didn't know for sure that he was the killer, but uh, they they had the founding member of the Behavioral Analysis Unit, uh, Thomas Underwood, who I introduced in The Seventh Victim. He's retired now, but Roscoe Lee Marks was his last case. This was the last case that he profiled when he was uh, retiring. And Vale kind of took over the case after that and um, worked with uh, law enforcement, and and ultimately they uh, collared Roscoe Lee Marks. So the concept here is that Vale now looks at this, you know, several years ago, and she's grown as a profiler. She is forced to take a fresh look at this case uh, for a number of reasons, which I don't want to go into too much. I don't want to give anything away, but she has to evaluate her own work when she was new. And I think if you look, if anybody, any professional looks back on their career and they look to the beginnings of their first days on the job, first year on the job, you know, it's it's inevitably, man, I didn't know anything back then, right? Right. Um, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but, you know, you gain, and that's kind of the purpose of, of experience, on-the-job experience mm-hmm. is, is invaluable. You know, we we take so much in in the course of a day, we don't even realize all the things that we're learning, but our brains are processing it. Well, same with, with Karen Vale. And so now... Um, she she discovers that uh, Roscoe Lee Marks is is uh, going to try to kill his daughter because his daughter has written a book called mm-hmm. The Serial Killer's Daughter, and The Serial Killer's Daughter talks a lot about her father and what it was like growing up, and uh, he feels betrayed, and um, she was Jasmine Marks, his daughter was the one who provided the authorities the first indication and evidence that her father was the killer. So there's a lot going on here in terms of... A lot of emotion uh, going on. I mean, a lot with with, with Jasmine. I mean, you know, you've got to feel sorry for her. Right, exactly. I mean, I don't don't know if there's someone named Jasmine that you hated and you decided, I'm going to fuck with this person, and that's what you did or what? Well, no, it's actually the opposite. It's the oh, okay, opposite. Okay, it's the opposite. There's oh. a Jasmine I know who is very sweet, who I love very much. And, it's uh, very no, sweet, and you love her, but, 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 guess, but Jasmine, I'm sorry, but your dad's a serial killer, and he's coming after you. 
<laughs> but hey, you want to come over for Christmas? <laughs> but it's funny, yeah. I mean, just yeah, you know, I mean, just to kind of see what you got to have to because the, the the creation of something like that, of course, is something that you would never encounter in real life. I mean, so you're having to write these kind of emotional events, not only from the writer, you know, from the author's point of view, but you have to also do it because, you know, you're doing it from, you're writing women. And that's something that, uh, you know, some men have problems doing uh, is kind of getting that emotional thing done. And so is that Mm -hmm. kind of a challenge for you when you have to kind of write those emotional scenes, not with Karen, but with kind of the, the, the other characters like that? So, you know, I was going to make a joke here, but I'll answer it. Uh, oh, no, make the joke um, first, because I like to laugh. Make the joke? Okay. Um, <laughs> am I answering as my wife, or am I answering as me? Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. From, you know, from my perspective, um, I, I did not have any difficulty um, getting into um, the emotions of what she would feel. Um, and, and I don't know. I don't know why I don't have that difficulty. Um, certainly, uh, with Karen Vale issues, I'm able to uh, understand. And right. uh, you know, sometimes it's also uh, talking to women. It's understanding how they relate to things and issues. Uh, I've been married almost 30 years, so you know, whatever it is, whatever the the equation is in my brain. I, I guess I get it. Um, right. Enough to know what it what it should be like and what they would be feeling. And then you know it can be certainly tweaked and edited and managed depending upon uh, whether or not it works. And um, you know it's it's Karen Vale is just like that for me, John. I, it's it's hard to describe. I I don't know sometimes. Uh, where she emerges from, but uh, she is not a character that I have to or had to sit down and think about and outline. I instantly knew, knew who she was, mm-hmm. and I and that makes know, things that makes things easy when you're sitting down, or easier when you're sitting down and you kind of already have that that knowledge base and you already kind of know how things are, how, how, how reactions are going to be in certain situations. No, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no question. It makes it very easy. I don't have to think about it. Uh, right. And, and, you know, I will tell myself while I'm writing, if something is not right, if, if something seems off. And then of course my editor, you know, if he feels uh, that something doesn't quite follow, I mean, he's edited, uh, 10 out of my 12 books now. So, you know, I've been working with him a very long time. And uh, there were two occasions where he said, you know, um, actually three occasions where he said, you know what, I just don't think this would be, you sure you want her doing this or you sure you want this to, to come off this way? And he makes his case. And in each of the three uh, instances I've I've gone with his uh, feeling and um, I think it was right. So, you know, it's I would say uh, by and large that's not the case. But uh, you know, that's that's why you have uh, an editor that you can rely on who who can you know be that uh, mm-hmm. person over your shoulder going, eh, well, 
let's take a look at this. Here's what I'm thinking and why. Uh, and uh, so, you know. And now the one thing I want to bring up, though, this is not an editor at your publisher's. This is an outside editor that you have that does this. Yeah, he started. Yeah, um, and I think that that's. He, the, and I hope. And anybody who's author, anybody who's authoring right now, should be very, very attuned to what Alan is saying. This is not the editor at the publisher's house. You have someone outside that handles that you work with. That you guys get together, you write everything, then you kind of send that to the publisher. Once those things have kind of been, you know, ashed out and handled out, you're not just sending in a rough draft to the publisher and they're like, okay, what do you got? No, it doesn't work that way. That's why you're successful. Right. That's, uh, that's a very interesting point, John. And uh, so Kevin Smith is, is the editor that I've worked with, and Kevin yeah. was with uh, Perseus Books Group, uh, Vanguard Press, when uh, my third novel was published, and that was The Seventh Victim. And mm-hmm. when uh, we left Perseus, I stayed with Kevin. Uh, I wanted right. to continue working with him. And, yeah, I mean, that, that's absolutely true. I, my very, very first agent, so this goes back, you know, to 1996, uh, she said, I remember her saying, if you think the manuscript is 100% there, you say this is ready to, to submit, it's probably only 50 or 60% of the way there. Right. And it's it's true because, you know, as as a writer, particularly early in my career, I couldn't see things objectively. Uh, you, you, It's very difficult. And I know a lot of authors are, are in uh, book groups, uh, not, not book groups where you read a book, but writing groups where you sure. critique your drafts and, uh, and give feedback. And I I did something similar to this early in my career. I chose people from different walks of life uh, to give me different perspectives. Um, I didn't want somebody just like me because I felt that was going to get me feedback very much like me, uh, which I already had my feedback, so I needed you know, right. different perspectives. And uh, so... And I felt that if more than two or more people in that group had the same concerns or criticisms, I had to pay close attention to it. I really had to look yeah. at that. Uh, if one person said it, had, had a concern, I'd look at it, but it didn't have the same weight as if two or more said it. Because everybody has an opinion. Uh, Yep. You may feel one, you know, is it right? Is it wrong? Hard to say. Right. But, but if two said the same thing, and these are people who are who I've specifically chosen to be, you know, from different perspectives um, on life, then I had I knew I had a problem. So and that's what I did early on when I was feeling my way. Uh, you know, I, I, I haven't done that in many years because it got to the point where, I knew I knew what works, what doesn't work. Um, when I work with my editor, it's fine-tuning what we have. It's, it's taking it uh, from the rough draft, because I, I give him my first draft, literally type the last period, and before I even read it myself for the first time, 
I, I give it to him. And um, so we're reading it together for the first time. And over the years, my drafts have gotten much cleaner. My first drafts have gotten much cleaner because I, yeah. I listen to what I'm telling myself as I'm writing. So I, I make the fixes as I'm writing instead of having all these problems and errors uh, in, in structure or pacing at the end when you finish and then you go, okay, now I have, you know, 50 things that have to be fixed. And yep. sometimes things build on one another and then you go, oh, man, what a mess. So this way – You get yeah, 50 the on them and when you turn in, you're like, I thought there was only five. <laughs> <laughs> or you buy you're like, I didn't know I had a 13-year-old grandma. <laughs> Oops, I made that date wrong. <laughs> Now, the one thing, too, that you said at the very beginning of the interview, which I thought was, was very interesting, I wanted to make sure I go back and touch on it, with the two series that you've done and you've kind of interwoven them, you could almost say that the prequel to this book, if you want to know more about Karen Vale, would be The Lost Codex, and then you can kind of work your way in because that's kind of, you, like I said, you've kind of interweaved these two, um, you know, these two series so, and I know that the books that you write are pretty, you know, you, you can hand them all with standalones. But if you were to say a perfect series and someone says, hey, I want to go from one and I want to go all the way through ten, how do you think you would label them? Um, well, I have actually been asked this question. Uh, somebody will read uh, Spectrum, which has been uh, – referred to as a good entry into the Karen Bale series because it is kind of a prequel of sorts and it goes back in time to her beginnings. So you could start with Spectrum and then go back and, and you know, start from Seven Victim and go forward. And and people, readers have asked me, what, what do you recommend? How should, What order should I read this stuff in? And, you know, I, I, I thought about it and went, that's kind of an interesting question because they are two different series but there are things that that do happen to to Vale and the Vale characters that follow her from book to book, the family of characters and then when I introduced Uzi in Hard Target which was Opsic Team Black number two and then DeSantos I introduced in Velocity which was the third Karen Vale novel. I, I had this this family of characters that that did uh, interact with one another, and and it's not a separate world. The FBI director in the, the Karen Vale series is the FBI director in the Obstic Team Black series, and so on and so forth. So um, yeah, it's like it's real life. I world. mean, you haven't changed worlds. It's it's just it's the same characters living in this world. Correct. Uh, yeah. that, that's absolutely correct. Now, in a sense. There, there's a difference to the world, and that is what creates the conflict for Vale. And conflict is good in this case, um, because right. as an FBI agent, she's got a you know 4,000-page operations manual of rules and regs. Uh, as a as a covert operative, there are no rules, so she is. <laughs> this is a tremendous conflict for her. Uh, and it's something that she has to find a way of reconciling. Uh, and there are times in in the darkness of evil when in the beginning, and you know she's uh, she wants to you know do something like she can do 
in um, in in her covert ops uh, story, but she can't because <laughs> she's got these rules right. she has to follow. So it's uh, the in terms of order, I, I usually say you know read the Veil series in order, but uh, when you get to um, no way out. In May 1577. Yeah. Well, no. See, no way out is an interesting one too. That could go in either series. It really could fit as either an Opsig book or a Vale's book. Um, but it was designated as a Vale book early on, and there's no reason to change it. It's, it works fine. Um, right. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And and it kind of introduced us to Vale's potential capabilities as, as an operative, as a special forces uh, individual, uh, because she's got to do some really um, crazy things uh, to to thwart um, some, some attacks that are happening in, in uh, the UK. And, uh, and, of course, she's involved with uh, DeSantos and Uzi in that book. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, that one is a crossover between the two series. And uh, so I, I would put... Um, Hard target in there, uh, probably right after in May 1577. Then I would go to No Way Out, which is the fifth Veil novel, uh, Spectrum, and then Lost Codex. Okay, and that's then, a good order. Um, yeah. And then now, and, and then, then now the Darkness of Evil. Yeah. Right. I'll tell you yeah. what, though. I thought it was going to be really hard for you to outdo what you did in inmate 1577 <laughs> i mean and i think we even talked about this you were like damn i really did good on this one and so <laughs> and, and i know that books are like your children you never want to say which one is your favorite but they're not my children so i can say which one is my favorite and that one <laughs> is my favorite i mean and they're all great but yeah but you know when someone says you got to pick one you know, I when people ask me and they kind of say, you know, because I kind of, you know, people are like, oh, you know, recommendations or whatnot. I'm like, grab this book, Inmate 1577. I know it's kind of in the middle of the series, and this will give you the idea of who he is. And then you can spiderweb yourself out from there into right. the series, however you want to do. Um, because, yeah, I, I was always like, God, can he, can he go back to kind of, uh, like, with, uh, go back to Alcatraz, man. <laughs> it was uh, and, and the funny thing John was I, I had no plans whatsoever right. to write I'm that novel that. I, I, I remember it, talking yeah. about that at Thriller Fest yeah. and you were like I can't believe it I don't remember Yep. it was the weirdest thing I just walked into my office and I said Caravan on Alcatraz and I went wow that's, that's kind of interesting and you know and then it just kept bombarding my brain day after day after day and I kept adding to my my outline and finally it was like, damn, this is good. I gotta write this book. Yeah. I'm gonna write it right now. I know. Um uh, it was And it I was know a at one point fun. it was it was looking out for movie or T V or something, but did that mm-hmm. anything ever happen with that? Well it was optioned. Um in fact the entire Veil series was optioned. Sure. Uh, as was um uh, hard Target, the second Opsic Team Black. Um, so, yeah, ultimately, uh, we came extremely c- close. I was co-producing. We had a deal with TNT uh, for a two-hour right. that movie. Was the, for, that's when they were doing all those books, those movies, and into books, right? Yep. Yeah, there that's were right. That's what it was. Selling novels. Yep. Yep. That they were adapting for screen. We had a, a great screenplay for the Seventh Victim. 
it was uh, the executive producer was on the same page with me. I mean, everything was just moving along. We got tax breaks in North Carolina. It was it was yeah. everything was falling into place. And then um, it's Hollywood. Yeah. And then Hollywood. Yeah, that's a good way of doing it. And then it is. I mean, Hollywood, and I period. don't think people really truly understand that you can make it all the way up to the point of having the script and you have everything there and you're ready to go and you're a day before shooting and then some executive just says, nah, and then it's all done. <laughs> that was actually – so my agent, when this was happening, my agent said, so I've got some good news for you. We have a film deal and we have a, 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 a TNT uh, a TV deal. And I, he said, which do you want? I said, how can I make that decision? What do you mean? Which do I want? He said, well, let me let me make it easier for you. If we go the feature film route, five years from now, we could be sitting here going, why the hell haven't they gone before the cameras? What is yeah. the delay? And then all of a sudden, like you just said, a guy comes in, a new executive, and goes, yeah, I don't like all these projects. We're going to do ones that I have input on. Scrap them all. Right. He says, and then, then you're, you're nowhere. And you don't have the rights. You've sold them, so they can sit on it, and you'll never get another movie made. Because you can't unless they decide no. to suddenly. So he said, but TV, you know, within six months, there's a 99.9% .9 chance it'll be on the air. So I said, you know what? Let's, let's do TV. And um, so we got the, the deal with TNT for the two-hour. Uh, and it wasn't until... Scott Turo actually told me what happened. His was the first one that aired. And um, I, I had my own theories as to what went wrong. Because what happened was they, they made the first six. Uh, the first six aired, and then we were uh, about to start. We were the seventh project. And um, so the first six aired, and the ratings were horrendous. And the sponsors. Well, they did a shitty job of sometimes. I mean, I watched some of that, and, and I tell you what, I mean, uh, they did a, they they did kind of a really crappy job of not only like marketing it, but some of the some of the movies that they did. It was like they I think they kind of missed the mark on some of the characters. I think they had Lisa mm -hmm. Gardner on there for one, and I was like, mm -hmm. I was like, right. she can't be happy with this. She can't. I think it was Lisa Scottaline another one. I think um, she might have been I, I one in there. So, yes, I think yeah, so. Yeah, and I was I, like, I, you know, it's just I didn't think it was that well put together, but you know what? It gave exposure and I, you know, and I'm but you know, some people would have liked them, but I think I think they shot the most cells in the foot is what they did. Well, so Scott Turo told me and I, I don't remember if he if this was something that he knew because this is what he was told by TNT or if this was his theory, but Either way, it made perfect sense to me. And once he said it, uh, you know, it was a head slap. It was like, oh, man, of course. So everybody knows that TNT is the NBA, right, the NBA on TNT. And we've heard that yep. for how many years, Two, how many decades. So yep. um, this was the year of the NBA strike, and suddenly there was no uh, NBA. And TNT, you know, they had no platform uh, through which to advertise their their shows. And, true, um, true. Yeah, it was a killer. Because only so many people went, watched, oh you know, Law & Order reruns that they had on there. Yeah, right, right. And they were trying to break out of that and, and do original scripted content. Yeah. And I, it's really unfortunate because I think the idea was great. 
Uh, I, I think that like a Netflix, up. and I know Amazon's doing stuff like they did, you know, Harry Bosch and some other guys, mm-hmm. and I think Netflix would be a good platform. But, yeah. I mean, there's a platform for Karen Vale, and there's definitely a platform. And I, and if anyone ever asks, they say, well, you know, what, what you say Inmate 1577. That's the book you tell them. Uh, yeah, no, I, my wife would agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, no, and maybe. I love the book, too. I love it as well. I mean, it's just, it yeah, was, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, it's just it very special. Yeah. But I have to tell you, I also love each one of my books. It, it's kind oh, of yeah. like... You know, they're I know they're like your children. Like children, right? That's right. why I and said they're your children, not my children, so I can pick a favorite. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm allowed to say no. I'm sorry, but Eugene is just a bad little boy. I like Bobby better, and I know you don't care, but that's what I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I can do that. You know, I'm not picking my own children, but I can, I'll pick your children, which one I like better. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Alan, I mean, it's always great to speak with you. Um, I, we just need, we just don't do this enough uh, because we could go on for a long time. I mean, you know, Jeff and I were actually thinking about putting together like a roundtable discussion of, you know, like uh, the two of us and then you and somebody else, and we were trying to, sure. you know, talk about – you know, different things, and we're trying to get the concept, you know, to kind of see, just like, like I said, you know, just like a roundtable discussion, not just mm-hmm. about, you know, maybe writing in general or something, you know, in the thing, and, and you know, we always do well, and I think it would be great, so, you know, you well, can come on whatever yeah. you want, we can just talk about anything, we can just talk and see sure. what's going on, yeah. Yeah, you, but, you uh, let me know when, I'm game. Uh, but I'll tell you, the darkness of evil, I mean, you know, you hit it out again, um, and I know that you're probably going to be doing some. Are you going to be doing some touring on this one, or are you just going to be doing more of the the blog on the internet touring? Uh, conferences, you know, I'll I'll do Thriller Fest okay. and BoucherCon. Uh, we'll see about uh, Men of Mystery, and uh, you know, as they come up, uh, if if I and can you didn't go Love Coast Crime, okay. obviously, right? No, I did not. Um, yeah, this was uh, the the book that I just finished was. Well, we'll have a lot to talk about that when when this comes when the next book comes oh. out. Uh, yeah, it was uh, really fun but stressful in terms of the research. Oh. Um, I but uh, it was all uh, consuming for the the past really almost the past year. Yeah. Um, but it all came together, thank God. Um, and uh, it's always great to hear the journey it. too. Oh, it's it's. In more ways than one, John. But we'll have always great to hear the journey. (laughs) And so, and and the best place that for anyone to find out everything that you got going on is just go to alanjacobson.com. Everything is there. His website is very, very detailed. You can find all information on all the books. You got videos, updates. You got Mm -hmm. everything that you need to know about all of your books. Um, And then I know that you're pretty active on, what, Facebook and Twitter, and you got all those things that you got going on, all that fun social media? Yes, yes, Uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. uh, Oh, you're going all three, man. I can only do one. Well, you know, John. I kind of do Twitter. Well, uh, yeah, I I understand, and it's very hard time-wise to manage it all. Um, Instagram goes to my love of photography and um, 
and sometimes I'll, I'll post things that have to deal with the research that I'm doing. But I'm not going to tell you, right? Right. Right. So you have to play detective. Oh, he's where? That's kind of interesting. Is that where Terranvale is going next? So, you know, it's fun from that perspective, and it, and it allows me to unlock my, my photographic creativity, which um, was sitting on my hard drive instead of sharing it with people. So, yeah. I think photos, I picked Twitter. Well, I think I picked Twitter because – 99% of the people that I probably talk to, 180 mm-hmm. characters is enough I need to hear from them. And I, you know, I don't need to really know your food on Facebook or I don't need to know that, you know, your dog was really cute and getting the ball and I, I really don't care about that. Um and in Twitter, you can only say it in 180 characters. And therefore, I, I, it doesn't really bug me. But when Facebook gets clogged down with all these stupid pictures and all these things and all these other things, I'm just like, my Lord, don't ever tell me that you're pissed if someone invaded your privacy because your whole world is out there. So, yeah, that's well, why I, I think it, that's it, why I do Twitter more than anything else. <laughs> I, uh, so let me correct something. It's 140 characters. I wish oh, it was even better. See, I've already, no, we've already killed twenty percent of what I gotta listen to. <laughs> okay, okay. But I write novels, Sean. For me to have to express an idea in one hundred and forty characters, not one hundred and forty words, we're talking one hundred and forty characters. So that period That's right. oh no, gotta get rid of that. It is That's maddening. Right. It takes so much time. So if you can't yeah. do it in one hundred and forty characters then it's probably not a thought you should share with the world. Well, <laughs> well. Because you know what Lisa Scottaline says, and she's very big well, on this. She goes, if you can't say what your book is about in seven words, then you probably don't know what your book is about. I won't disagree with that, but that's different yeah. from and so, comic. See, see so, the other thing is, if, if you and supercalifragilisticexpialidocious might be one word, but that's over 140 characters. So there you go. That's my point. What have you expressed? Well, then don't use supercalifragilisticexpialidocious <laughs> in your tweet. <laughs> Sage advice from John Robb. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, if you if you need advice, I'll give it. I didn't say it was good, but it will still be advice. You know. That's all I can say. <laughs> Oh, and as, as my wife walks in and gives me the evil eye, like, yeah, don't listen to his freaking advice because it's probably not going to be right. <laughs> but that's all right. John, John do, do any of us ever listen to your advice? No. And this is why okay. you're all in the position you're at. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon's already told us, don't listen. John I know. She secretly emails you behind my back, and she's like, yeah, he's just cuckoo. Just let him talk. It's like patting the dog on the head. Yeah, nice doggy. You're doing so good. <laughs> You've seen those emails? I, thought um, those I, I, I hacked her email once, and I'm like, I can't do this no more. I can't see what she's saying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, well, hey, man, we—I can't believe it's already. We've blown through like 45 minutes, and I was gonna—we we said a half hour, but like I said, we could talk for a long time, and we really got to catch up sometimes. So, you know, we uh, we got to catch up when we're out. And I still have to—I I see, I got the inmate 57 on Kindle. I still got to get the hardcover so I can mail it to you. And you can, um, oh. autograph it for me. I got to get that done. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. 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 So, BJ Books. 
Absolutely, I see it. No, no, no. I want to, I want to mail it to you, and then I want you to physically like write something cool and then mail it back. Of course. Or do I have to do VJ books? Is VJ books probably the best place to do it? Oh, for for autographed copies, absolutely. Absolutely. And I know that that's on your website. I saw that on your website, so people can get autographed copies. You can go to VJ books, and it says right on there, autographed hardcovers, right under books, the last little thing on the menu, and you can go to VJ books. So. All yep. right, my they man, my... we will talk with you soon. Always a pleasure. Congratulations on the new book. It is out now, so make sure you go get The Darkness of Evil. It is book seven in the Karen Vale series. If you haven't read Karen Vale, you can start with this one. Go back to the others. Check out all the books. And, Alan, it's always a pleasure to start to talk with you, man. And nothing but the best. We'll see you soon. Thanks, John. Take care. All right, bye-bye. So, again, everybody, that is author Alan Jacobson. Please make sure you visit alanjacobson.com for more information on this book, The Darkness of Evil. Again, book seven in the Karen Vale series. Also check out his OPSIG Team, um, OPSIG Team Black series, which is now in its third book. The last codex was the last one of that. And he does have one standalone thriller out there, um, and it's called Fader Accusation or False Accusation. So, He's got, Alan's got the gamut for you. So, again, what I can always say, if you're sitting around and you're like, oh, I don't have anything to read, and you haven't read Alan Jacobson, well, then you've got about freaking 11 books you can go read right now, and then that will cover you until the next interview that we have with the next author. So we want to thank you guys all for listening. We're going to close it off now since Jeff's not here and you don't want to hear me talk for the next 15 minutes anyway. Um, but... We are going to have another special show next Tuesday. Um, I was able to finally interview Alex Berenson, and we are going to play that interview on the air. And, of course, he is the uh, New York Times bestselling author of his Jonathan Wells books. So we are going to play that Alex and Berenson interview next Tuesday on this show. And make sure you also check out uh, Crime and Science Radio. Just had, if you're into serial killers, they had Dr. Mary Ellen O'Toole on last Saturday, and that was one of the most fascinating shows you will ever hear um, that they have ever done in like their three and a half years on the radio show. Uh, Make sure you check out Dr. Mary Ellen O'Toole and that Crime and Science Radio episode again for serial killers and everything like that. I mean, she's physically sitting there and, you know, she's in front talking what it's like to talk about, you know, to talk to these killers um, and, and what she's been able to do. So check that out. So we will see with you all last time. And like we always used to say, keep reading. Until next time, bye.